Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 84 of Conquering Columbus. Our guest this week is Kevin Stoller, and I think you'll really enjoy hearing his entrepreneurial journey. Uh, he's a Chicago native, but he spent a lot of time in Columbus, and he's currently living in Phoenix, working on K12.com, where he is co-founder and CEO. Kevin's had a lot of interesting experiences, and definitely think you guys are going to enjoy this story, and I hope you learn a lot. Before we get to that interview, though, I want to ask you all for a quick favor. If you haven't already, pick up your phone and hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're listening on. It really helps support our show, and it'll make sure you never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. We also want to take a moment to thank some of our supporters. Conquering Columbus is brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. And for more information, head on over to sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them, there's a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at GoFMX.com. Mike here again. Do you want to be a sponsor of Conquering Columbus? We are looking for some new supporters to help keep the show going in 2018. To inquire about how you can help support the podcast, please send an email to Mike at ConqueringColumbus.com. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Today on the show, we have Kevin Stoller, and Kevin is the CEO and co-founder of K12.com. And he earned his undergraduate degree at Miami of Ohio before coming to Ohio State to get his MBA from the Fisher College of Business. He also spent some time in sales before co-founding K12.com, which focuses on helping schools, colleges, and corporations create better learning environments. Uh, currently, he's living in Phoenix, Arizona, and he runs his own podcast called the Columbus Entrepreneurs Podcast, which will be linked in the show notes. And welcome to Conquering Columbus, Kevin. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're really excited to have you here today on the show. And uh, kind of the first place we like to start is maybe talk a little bit about what a typical day looks like for you now. Sounds good. Yeah. And before I get into that, I, I just want to say I've been listening to your guys' show from the beginning. So definitely been an inspiration for me. So it's good hearing, hearing the stories of Columbus area. So love the work you guys are doing. 
I think the first was their first one with Steve Weaver or one of the first ones. Yeah, yep. I that was the first one we ever did. Okay, so yeah, so he's he's a friend of mine, so I think he got me turned on to your show early on. So getting to your your question right now, um, so we did move to to uh, to Arizona this summer, so um, moving away from Columbus has definitely changed changed my routine. Right now, I I get up usually at about 5 a.m. and I usually start working because of the time the time change on the on the eastern time zone and I try to work out before but it, it gets pretty early and then then after I get an hour or two of work in then I get the kids ready for school drop them off and head into the office and then kind so, of maybe let's kick it back and talk a little about your background and your path up to Miami of Ohio um, maybe a brief overview of your childhood and then kind of what led you to Miami and then your path to Ohio State to get your MBA yeah sounds good so I grew up Chicago area just northwest of the city and I always say like kind of the highlight of my life was Chicago sports as a childhood was those 1985 Chicago Bears I you know they've been horrible ever since but and they were so good in 85 that it's, you know, it's kept me a fan for this long. And, uh, and then even going through and being able to, to follow the Bulls in the Jordan area, that, that had a big influence. And I had three brothers, so we were just really sports-related family. And uh, when it was time to, time to move on to college, um, I, I just looked at a bunch of different schools. And there were always a handful of kids from, from my high school that went to Miami. And I... Uh, made a visit and I'm like, this looks like a pretty cool place. I think I'll go there. And that was, that's how I got linked into Ohio and, you know, and then ended up uh, living there for a long time, moving to Columbus, met my wife at Miami and, uh, and started uh, kind of getting into the Columbus business community from there. What'd you study while you were at Miami? I was mass communication. So it was like video production. And one of the cool things that I was able to do when I was there was actually combine a lot of, a lot of my passion. Was, I would say it was kind of like the beginning of my entrepreneurial journey was uh, Miami had a program where you basically can come up with any idea that you want. And if it gets approved, they fund it and they give you a whole bunch of credit hours. So I was able to do a documentary on the commercialization of Michael Jordan, which was looking at his career as an endorser. And it, I mean, it was, it was such a cool project, something that I, that I always love kind of going back and, and think I'm like, that was, you know, we got to go up to Nike headquarters and talk to all these other companies where Jordan endorsed them and kind of look at that progression of his career. Yeah. It's got to be a pretty interesting documentary. I don't know. I, I remember seeing something running around on social media about how much Michael Jordan makes every minute. And it's some ridiculous number <laughs> from his endorsements. But, uh, what about your family growing up? I mean, do you have any siblings, anybody, um, you know, in your family that was also kind of on a similar entrepreneurial path to you? No, it's interesting. I have three brothers, and they have all gone different directions. My dad was was a kind of second generation business owner, um, so I kind of grew up going into into work with him and kind of seeing seeing kind of the behind the scenes and getting in there and doing like all the grunt work, you know, as, as a small business owner. So that was kind of my exposure and kind of the things that led me into saying, I always knew I wanted to own a business, but I never really knew exactly what type of business it was, um, you know, until, until I kind of found my way later in my career. What did your path look like after Miami of Ohio? Did you go straight to your MBA or did you spend some time working? No, I didn't. So I, I started, yeah. So 
um, interesting. Like my, my first job was one of the more entertaining jobs. Um, I was with my college roommate a week after we graduated from Miami. We went and we drove around the Eckridge Funhouse around the country. And the Eckridge Funhouse was kind of like the competition to the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile. Um, so we, we would go around and uh, every week we were in a different city and we'd get onto like the morning TV shows. And it was this big truck with a yellow smiley face. And there was a papa shop that popped out of the back and you can pull a grill out and we would grill smoked sausage at different types of events and things. So it was it was a blast. I always say it was kind of like my 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 break in, like not a not quite a real job, but it was so much fun. And uh, and I ended up doing another tour for Twizzlers doing that. And then after that, I'm, you know, my my. At the time, my wife and I were dating, and she lived in Columbus. She was finishing up at Ohio State. And I'm like, you know, we should probably live in the same city and figure out if this is gonna, if this is gonna work or not. And I knew I always wanted to start my own thing, and I felt like I needed to learn how to sell. So I ended up working for Icon, which is now Rico, and uh, and met some great people there, and they had great sales training, and it was just really good exposure to win and lose a lot of deals really fast. So. Um, so that, that's kind of my, my track after Miami. And then I ended up doing the evening MBA program at Ohio State while I was working at Icon. So how in the world do you get involved with a job <laughs> driving around a sausage truck? <laughs> you know what? Uh, right? Oh, I mean, my I, God. That's what I want to do. It. Do, for the do rest it. Of my life. Oh, my God. Every, every time I see these, like, there's this whole under, it's not really an underground world, but there's this, like, secret world of mobile marketing and these, you know, whenever they pop up, I always go talk to them because it was such a cool thing. But you go to like these events, like if you go to a state fair or something like that, there's all all these ones out, out there and, and you kind of become like a groupie where everyone hangs out. So we would we would meet the people from the Wienermobile and from the plant like planters, peanuts would have a have a truck that went around and we and we get to know all these people. And, and honestly, I we just lucked out. It was one of those where I think probably 500 people applied, and on it, and I, I think um, you know somehow we stood out and, and we got the interview, and it, it was a blast. We ended up getting a few of our other friends kind of hired by the company too, and they did some other tours. One did one for Lego. I mean, it, it was just a really cool thing. But at some point, you know, you, you got to get off the road, even though it's tempting to say, "Hey, let's go do another tour." Because you really think about it, you have no expenses. They're paying for everything. So right out of college, I, you know, I didn't have anything. I didn't have an apartment. I didn't have a car. So I was just able to to put money right in the bank. And as you kind of toured the country like that, was there anything in particular that kind of helped mold you for your later experiences in life? I know you hear a lot of times, like we talked with Mikey's Late Night Slice and some of his entrepreneurial ventures were molded by his trips to other cities around the country where he saw people doing things certain ways and then brought those back to Columbus. So um, was there anything in particular there? Or was it kind of just your experiences later on that helped your entrepreneurial path? For sure. Probably the biggest takeaway from that experience is, is they did really intensive media training for us. And they went through this concept that they called their sparklers. And it's something that I've always used as a sales manager since of of being able to train people to make sure that their message gets heard, whatever that message is. And so they would go and they would, they'd say, you have five sparklers. And I still remember them. It was, it was, we're, we're out giving back to the local community. 
uh, during the summer grilling season, and we're we're raising local money for the local food bank to give back, and reintroducing the great taste of Eckerd smoke smoked grillers. And there are these things that you had to figure out a way to work it into the conversation. And it was great training for sales or anything else to be able to say, all right, how do you take this message instead of just spewing it right out of working it into the conversation? Definitely. So let's talk a little bit about um, after RICO. So before we get into K-12, was there any other stops along the way from RICO to K-12? I, I did do a stint at Abbott Labs where I was working from home in their diagnostic division. Um, and honestly, I'm not a science person and they're very science oriented and, and it just wasn't a good fit. So I worked there for about a year before I, so I always say I spent, you know, a good time with fortune 500 companies until I realized that I really wanted to be kind of with a small business and be able to, an opportunity where I can have more say in the direction of the company. How'd you feel about your evening MBA experience? Do you feel like you... Um, got a lot out of it and were molded by, you know, the, the curriculum being produced or was it more the relationships you developed along the way or what was that process like for you? It, it was a really good experience. Um, honestly, as an entrepreneur, I don't know how valuable it was kind of dollar amount. I would say the vast majority, and I know you're going through the MBA program right now too, aren't you? Yeah, I'm, I'm work in progress. <laughs> yeah. And it's hard. I mean, when you're in there, it's pretty intensive, especially when you have a full-time job, too. I mean, it, obviously, all that knowledge is always good. But as far as, like, my career path, it, it didn't have a huge impact on that. Um, where it did have the impact is kind of that network that you're building of, of the people that I interacted with during that program. And, you know, and there's, there's definitely the credibility factor of, of being able to earn it. But... Um, I look back, I'm like, man, and I wish I would take it, taken it now when I was actually kind of focused on my business. So at the time, you know, I was, I was still working for a fortune 500 company and the, and the information I was learning wasn't as applicable as where it would be if you're looking at the lens of, of running your own business. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I think, I think I get a lot out of the experience personally applying the things that we learn um, on a daily basis to you know our, our startup culture here at FMX and as we're constantly trying to solve certain problems kind of relating those back so it's kind of interesting to hear you say that and I can imagine how it would help with K-12 but that kind of makes a good transition into K-12 maybe we could talk about I think a, a spot that a lot of entrepreneurs skip over is kind of that granular beginning and how it evolved and how you took it from um, ideation to you know true creation and I'd be interested to hear how that process went for you and then how things have grown since. Sure yeah what I mean, I've always been an avid reader or listener to books and, and podcasts and things like this. And one of the ones early on was um, a book called Millionaire Mind. And there's another one called Millionaire Next Door by the same author. And, and really, the, their focus was always saying, like, the people that have high net worth or higher than the average usually come from, like, really kind of dirty industries, kind of like the ones that people don't really want to get involved in. And so that, that was a little bit of the appeal when, when we did get into the educational furniture aspect is that, you know, it's not a sexy industry. And I've always kind of been attracted to, to those types of things where, you know, it, there's not a lot of innovation, even though there's a lot of really smart people in our industry. It's typically kind of a more just like down and dirty type of industry. 
And so when I got in kind of selling furniture into the education market, I was kind of looking at that industry. I'm like, you know what? There's a lot of kind of mom and pop type of companies out there. Um, but we really wanted to build a brand that was unique and different and focus more on the actual end result of creating better learning environments versus kind of selling stuff, selling a chair or selling a desk that would go in a school. And once we kind of evolved and kind of found our space in the market, that's when things really started started kicking and, and really where, honestly, that, that, that's the part that interests me because, it, it, you know, when you come down to it, a lot of things that we sell are commodities, but when we're actually having an impact on what that student outcome is, that's where it's exciting to me. And on the surface, it almost seems like it, it might not be, at least from my perspective, a huge market, but then you think you guys are kind of the steel case of the education world, and they've taken a pivot on normal office furniture and setups, and they've kind of twisted it with science and data and backed it up with creating better work environments where you guys are more targeted towards creating better learning environments. So it's kind of a, a really cool and interesting concept. Have you guys kind of looked at all at what they're doing in that space? Do you consider um, any other concepts at all in what you guys are doing or is that completely kind of another track? No, they've actually been one of the big drivers in the education world as well. They, they came out with some products about eight, 10 years ago that really was kind of based on science and really looking at the research of how do students learn and you know for you if you think about it i mean really in the last hundred years most of the furniture and i always my wife does not like that i do this but like anytime like in a movie or a tv show and it's a classroom setting it is always it's the same type of furniture in the same setup where it's a bunch of kids in these kind of bulky uh chairs and desks staring straight at the board or straight in front of them and the teachers kind of giving a lecture and Steelcase was one of the innovators said, you know, this is like the least engaging type of environment <laughs> that you can put kids. They're basically just set up to basically fall asleep. And, uh, and when they started looking at ways to kind of make it more innovative and, uh, and collaborative, it really opens up that space where you can be flexible and be able to, to move things around into small groups or into discussion mode. And so, so they were definitely one of the drivers. And then a lot of the manufacturers have, have followed suit and come out with products that look totally different from what, what at least what I was used to and, and most people were used to in a classroom setting. Definitely. Can we talk a little bit about some of your guys' early challenges there at K-12? Um, specifically like getting started and getting set up. I mean, how did you source your supplies? How did you decide on um, what your sales process was going to be like? How did you decide on first clients? I mean, can you like very specific, you know, maybe get really granular yeah. on your, you know, from, Hey, this is the idea to, okay, we're up and running. We screwed up a lot and we still screw up a lot. So it's, it's kind of that concept of fail fast and, and learn from it. And, you know, we, we started out and we just happened to have a relationship with one of the top manufacturers that focuses on education. And we kind of piggybacked them early. We, they paid for training and, and things like that. We kind of we got signed up in a program where, where they were involved because it, I started with a business partner and neither one of us had any experience in furniture. So we so we got in there and we we're just like, well, let's learn this. 
And uh, but we were both very knowledgeable in the in the sales process and just building relationships with people. So we we lucked out and we had a, a good relationship with a manufacturer um, early on. And but it, it it was a you know it was just kind of the the grunt work of just going and making calls. You know, a lot of driving around Ohio and just introducing introducing ourselves and until somebody would give us a shot. Um, but there's definitely, a, you know, the struggle of funding things. And I think a lot of business owners that I know too, it, it's, you know, you, you either got to bootstrap it or you got to raise money. And we bootstrapped it. And, uh, you know, so we, we went a long time without a paycheck. And, and then by, when we were ready to, to pull some money out, it, it was nowhere near what we were making before. And, uh, and it's just kind of that slow build of getting customers to trust you and work with you and refer you. And then we, um, we also introduced the e-commerce site pretty early. Um, probably by our second year, we had our e-commerce site up as well. Um, but it, it, it was a lot of mistakes. We screwed up. We, and we, like I said, we still screw up all the time. <laughs> How did that employee structure evolve? So I'm assuming there's just two of you at the beginning, and when did you guys start to finally bring on additional people, support staff, and what do those roles look like? Yeah, so we by the second year we were bringing on kind of administrative support and then um, designer. Um, so they would they would help with kind of the proposals and uh, and the drawings. Um, when we first started, we were also doing all the installations on our own. So you know, like in the summers was when we got really busy. So I load up, you know, a van of, uh, Ohio state college students and, um, you know, and we go drive or drive, uh, to the school and load trucks and start moving it into the, into the school. Um, you know, after, after enough, uh, times it's, by the way, it's really hard to get Ohio states or any college students to, to get up at 5.00 AM on Friday morning. Um, we, you know, there were times where I had to go, you know, like go knock on their doors because somebody uh, left the day before with, with keys to the truck and we couldn't leave until we got those keys and we were pounding on their door to wake them up. So we we, we learned pretty early that we were kind of live and die by some of the college students. And then actually when Ohio State switched to semesters, it forced us to change our business model because we're really busy in August and they were back in school then. So we ended up starting to outsource our installation, which was a huge breaking point for us because now we, we were able to, uh, to scale it a little bit more and not have to, uh, be out leading every installation that we were doing. And then following that through to today, what is your guys's value proposition look like? your selling point are you guys um delivering you know unique designs and unique products is it what does that kind of look like and what does your sales pitch look like to these schools that you're working with sure we we went through a program called eos it's based on a book called book traction and it's the entrepreneur entrepreneur's operating system um i know there's a lot of companies in columbus that are based on this platform and highly recommend it because it, it's really made for the small companies that have not had a lot of structure. And then when you get to the point where you're growing, you need to have that structure and you need to have everyone on the same page. And we went through that process about two, two and a half years ago. 
And what it helped us do is really define what our process is and be able to tell our story better. Because for us, we don't make the furniture. Um, so it is more about us helping them meet their, meet their needs and, and their goals for their student outcome. So when we went through that, we have a process, a K-12 proven process that, that it's very a consultative selling approach, but it's really understanding what they're trying to achieve. And then we focus more on the concept. So if you're, you know, if we meet with a school and they say we really want a collaborative environment that is also flexible, then we work on getting the design concept down before we ever talk about products. And we'll do the, you know, the 2D and 3D rendering so they can visualize what it would look like. And then once we do that, then we can, we can plug in the products that matches their budget point. And being able to do that, just it allows us to, to have kind of more of an unbiased view to solve their problems. Because a lot of times in our industry, it's here's our products and buy, buy this type of thing. And, you know, especially with the Internet and Pinterest, a lot of times it's really easy to be like, oh, that looks cool. That looks cool. But we are more interested in the functionality and how that will drive the, in, the outcomes for the students. And once we once we do that and honestly, there's it's a totally different approach for our industry, even though a lot of other industries use use that same type of process. It, it, our industry is still very much product focused. And by us taking more of a conceptual focus to it, it's really kind of separated us from the group because now it's it's all about things that are talking more on the education level versus the product level. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think it makes sense. So, I mean, the way I'm seeing it is that instead of selling, you know, I'm guessing that a lot of players in the space probably sell, hey, a chair's a chair, a desk's a desk, ours is cheaper, it'll last a while. I mean, instead of getting it really into that commodity space, you guys are focusing on more on, hey, how can this chair help your students learn better? How can your cha right. this chair or desk improve your students' learning experience, which I think is a really interesting way to tackle the problem. And, yeah, like you said, I mean, I can imagine it would separate you guys uh, significantly in the space. But um, from there, uh, let's talk a little bit about your role and how it's changed over time. So, I mean, from starting off doing everything to now kind of how has your role changed and um, how have you liked and disliked those changes? Yeah, it, it, it's definitely tough. And I think a lot of people have had the same journey where you start out and you do every role of the company. And, you, you know, so every process that we have, it's developed that way because that's I didn't know however, how else to do it. So that's how I did it and how I trained new people coming in to do that. So, you know, so we, we went going through kind of this process over the last couple of years. We've tried to document everything. So that, you know, when I'm not doing it, making sure that we have that same consistency and quality to the way, way we've done it. And honestly, I, I'm not good at a lot of things. So having other people in there who are really good at those things, it's really helped um, the business. Um, it, I, I did not have as much of a pain. I've heard other people talk about how hard it was to let go of some of the things. And I was probably maybe the... I went the other way. I was so happy to let go of it that I didn't keep my pulse on it enough. Um, and, you know, and then I kind of had to bring it back the other way and, and focus more time on training to do it. But now I'm kind of at a role where I, I, 
you know, I moved out to Arizona to open a regional office out here because our goal is to have a have a nationwide sales and support team. So we've already had people in the Midwest and on the East Coast and moving out here on the end of the Western time zone has allowed me to to focus on doing that. Um, but I just have really good people. I'm the youngest person in the company. So I have a lot of experienced people on the team and they they're just really good professionals. So we've been it's it's definitely helped um being able to do it that way versus me having to train everything i've been able to bring in people that know a lot more than me and it's really just kind of stay out of their way at that point so let's let's talk a little bit about uh, what the team looks like today and then what your guys goals are for the future what direction you're heading and uh, maybe any current challenges that you guys are trying to overcome especially expanding to that nationwide going out to arizona and what that experience has been like Sure. Yep. So our teams, so we we're a pretty lean team in that we we have our sales team and then we have the, the sales support side of thing and then we outsource the the installation side of it. So we are trying to build out a, a national sales team, and uh, and that's kind of my my main focus is to do that. But along with that is I want to make sure that our brand is really strong. So our our, our ten year goal is that we want to be the national leader for learning environments. So some of the things that we've done, we wrote a book last year. We started a podcast just in the education sector, and it's really trying to focus and cement our our our, uh, our place within the market of being that leader and that thought leader. And so that that's really kind of the focus. And right now we we're really at the point where we're just trying to scale. We're trying to add more experienced sales reps that can go and and be able to give us more geographical territory. Um, the challenges on this is that that is this is not at all how furniture companies have operated in this country. There are tons of battles that we're, we're having within the industry, um, primarily in the way the distribution has been handled by the manufacturers. They are they're, they've had their dealers, like in, you know, like in Ohio and in Columbus, there are dealers and they have a set geographic territory, um, but they're not good at kind of that transferring among. And because because the internet and everything's changing, the, the industry is just kind of not really sure how to handle all that geographic stuff that's going on right now. So it's an interesting time to see kind of how, how it all plays out, but that's definitely been one of our big struggles. Definitely, and uh, so kind of want to pivot a little bit, start talking about Columbus. I mean, I know you've had some experience in Columbus, um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about what you felt like when you were here, the pros and cons of living in the city were like, and how it compares to Phoenix. Yeah, I, I love Columbus. Like I said, growing up in Chicago and then moving to Columbus, every time we'd go back and visit family in Chicago, I'm like, oh, I'm like, Columbus is half the price and a lot less traffic. And I mean, I, I loved it. I mean, there's everything, everything there in Columbus. There's a really you know, vibrant business community and the arts and the sports and everything. It, it, it is a really cool city to live. I, I really had a hard time leaving there. Obviously, you know, there's the weather factor that right this time of year is a lot nicer living in Arizona. Maybe not so much in July when it's 120 degrees here. 
I, I really miss Columbus. I think it, I think it's a great city. It's a great place to raise a family and and have a business. And, and that you know, and I, and I think uh, you know my kids are are young enough and old enough that they they've picked their sports teams and they're going to keep those Columbus teams. They'll always be Ohio State fans and and Blue Jackets fans and uh, and it's pretty cool to to have that connection. So the, I, I can't talk. I mean, there's people out here that are just like, oh, you got to be glad that you're not in Ohio anymore. I'm like, no, I loved Ohio. I thought Columbus was great. So I'm a, I'm a huge advocate for it. How does that compare to Phoenix? It's, has Phoenix been as welcoming and as prosperous um, for the business development as you experienced here in Columbus? Or has it just been a different it, experience? Or? It, it's definitely different. It's more transient town. So you get a lot, you know, like there's very few people that are from from Phoenix area. They've all moved here. So, so that, that part's definitely different. I, I think there's definitely less, um, of a community feel to it because of that as well. Like, obviously you guys know the pride in Ohio and Columbus and Ohio state. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a pretty cool thing to be part of. And there's really not that here, um, to that degree. And I, I, I definitely miss that. Um, it's also way bigger than I realized. Um, geographically and just like number of people. So I think it's easier to get ingrained in the business community in Columbus than it is here. It has helped that I, I was a member in Columbus of um, EO Entrepreneurs Organization, which is um, an association of, of business owners. Um, and that helped because there is a chapter out here. So that definitely helped kind of get to know people pretty quickly. But it, it's a, uh, it, there, there's definitely uh, less like pride across the board than there than there is in Columbus. Definitely, and Conquerors. Uh, if you guys want to learn more about the EO, uh, you can go check out Kevin's podcast. It actually focuses on interviewing EO members, and we'll have that link to the show notes. But uh, Kevin, you know, it seems like a good time to pivot towards one of our last questions, which, um, as you know, I'm sure is focused on the theme of our show, and that is live uncomfortably. Um, so, you know, without going too much into it, what do you feel the words live uncomfortably mean to you and how do they apply to your story? For sure. I mean, there, there is a, there's nothing comfortable about starting a business. Um, and, you know, ever since we did this, and maybe I'll give you a longer answer here than, than you want. I'll give you my, the short answer. We moved, you know, we moved to, we moved here in this last year and my wife and I, our, our motto has been in the last year was, was go big or no home. And, and it is a little bit that mentality of like, you know, if we want to really grow this and do that, you know, like we, uh, we, you know, like moved everything, um, trying to do that. And, um, so, so there, there's definitely, you know, that aspect of, you know, there, there's a chance we lose everything and the point where we have, we have no home. And, um, and that's like the reality they, of it. Are they as big of <laughs> you know what? Uh, we're really big on not having a boring life and we really want some unique experiences. And that was another reason why we made the move here is that our kids were at a good age that it, that it, it, it will give them, you know, something else. Like they're, they're, they're young enough that they know we moved and it, you know, it was hard for them, but they, uh, they, they've seemed to enjoy it. Um, yeah, I don't know if it, it depends on the day. If I ask them, you know, they, they may say, let's move back. Um, 
but but it does kind of give them you know a little bit of like hey it, change can happen and you got to adjust to it and, and you know kind of my long answer in this is there were kind of there's a lot of things that happened in our personal life that actually coincided with when we started our business and that the first year that we started our started the business my wife was pregnant we had a um a daughter that was that was born sick and she never made it out of children's hospital um and and that you know obviously that that has a really big impact on kind of how you view that uncomfortable situation um and that you know, like somehow i always think you know in a business part of the time and i don't know if that business would have survived if i didn't have a business partner um going through that and it definitely gives you perspective of what's important and what's not important and you know once you kind of view kind of what most people would view as probably one of their worst fears in life business just kind of feels like eh, oh well we screw up we screw up if we're bankrupt we're bankrupt if we don't have a house we'll figure it out <laughs> um and so, so that experience definitely has um, maybe made me a little riskier on, on the business side than I would have been before that. Um, you have any final words as we wrap up that you want to conclude with to all the listeners throughout Columbus? Uh, I'm a huge advocate for entrepreneurship, and um, and especially with with younger people when you don't have you know you don't have the family, you don't have the mortgage, you know, on there and. I, I would just encourage people to, if you have an idea or you know, just do it, just try it. If you failure is not that bad when you really start thinking about like, what's the worst thing that can happen. A lot of times it's really not that bad. And, and, you know, there's, there's obviously a lot of things going around in the world today. And I, I'm a firm believer that I think entrepreneurship is going to be one of the, one of the things that, that makes the world a better place. And so I, I do as much as I can and, you know, to, to be able to encourage people and, um, you know, mentor whenever I can, because I, I really think there there's so much good things that happen from entrepreneurship that I, I'd love to see more people dive into it and uh, and get past that that initial fear and, ju and just do it. Yeah, that's absolutely true, Kevin. And uh, thanks a lot for joining us on the show, sharing your story with us. We really appreciate you. Uh, sit down with us this evening. Yeah, thank you guys. It's uh keep keep doing what you're doing. I think the the things like this are are really good for the city, really good for for you know the whole community to to have more of that kind of personal connection. So, re yeah, really impressed with what you guys have done. <laughs> thank you, thank you, absolutely. And uh, Conquerors, thanks for listening. That was Kevin Stoller, CEO and founder of K12.com. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode. We'll talk to you next week. If you guys enjoyed that episode, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitchers, whatever your favorite podcast app is. And go ahead and click that subscribe button. It'll make sure you never miss another episode of Conquering Columbus. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to say thanks to all of our incredible sponsors one more time. Conquering Columbus is brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. And for more information, 
head on over to sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them, there's a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. You can drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.